Well, good morning. I mean, how about you guys? The obvious question that comes from that video every time I see it is, what's for breakfast? Because he's got the skillet out, and he's getting ready to cook something. And it's like, man, what is going to come off? I don't know about you guys. Breakfast is my favorite uh, meal of the day, so it's like I can't like see the rest of the video because I'm thinking, man, what? Is it going to be an omelet? Is it going to be a... You know, this is the uh, last time we get to see that. This is the last Sunday of this Love Does series, and if you haven't been tracking with us through this, if you haven't been reading the book, man, you should totally get it. You should totally find some friends to get around you and kind of talk it. Uh, it's been a huge impact on, in my world. In fact, it feels like it's gone really fast, and it feels like kind of being the one that was looking out and trying to figure out what would be good for us to read and go through, I had no idea that it would, that it would impact me personally the way that it has. You know, you kind of, you don't, you don't really see that coming when you're prepping for something like that. I mean, I knew, I knew that it was going to be a good book. I knew that it had a good message. Um, but I had no idea that it was going to bring such attention to uh, the fact that my, uh, my understanding and my action in this, uh, this whole thing of love is just so uh, ridiculously inadequate. That, that the living God uh, loves in a way that is, is so much beyond me and what he calls us to is so much more beautiful than my personal experience and action. Uh, it just, I just feel like I've continually been convicted by there's, there's more. There's more. And I've been, you know, I've been around church stuff and people talking Jesus stuff for a long time, and it just feels like... We've been talking about something that, and it's kind of scratching the surface of something that does. We we don't really want to go there because it demands something more of us than what's comfortable. And, and personally, I don't. That makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I, I I don't know that I want to go there. And so, I think this for me personally, I think this is just the beginning of of a work. And um, and so I'm asking that this morning would really bring attention to that and maybe give us some action points to move forward. And um, and really specifically, this whole idea of the, how did Jesus love? So if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to talk about what love is, we've been talking about this dude that wrote the book, but what about, what about Jesus? How did Jesus love him? What would it look like to follow him? And I feel like I have to start with a story that I told here one of the first Sundays that, that I spoke up front. I guess it's been four or five years ago. Uh, it's the story, I have to feel like I have to tell it because through this study, it keeps on coming back as the, probably the, the closest story in my world to one of these stories, crazy stories from this book. Uh, so in, in small group and everything, it feels like I need to tell it. And it's really a story about Terry uh, and uh, something that she said to me that just, just really impacted me, an act of love. And it goes back now over 10 years ago when our family uh, moved 8,000 miles to this city in India called Allahabad. And, uh, and when we got there, uh, we planned on, we were one of the few expats in the city, and our plan was to try to learn language all that we could and try to learn culture and try to learn what, uh, what Hindu people, like what people that were under that belief system, what they really believed and felt about life and God. And, and so it was awesome because we met this family, this couple, uh, Vinod and Rushmi, and, uh, and they, Vinod had just retired, was a civil, civil engineer that had just retired. They had a, a son who had moved to the States, but they built a second floor in their home for he, him and his family to move into, but then he had moved away, so they had a, a floor open, 
And so our family moved into that flat and just kind of became a part of their family. And so we got to learn a lot. I mean, it just meant that we got to almost be in a homestay where we were uh, using language and learning language and seeing what culture was like. And it was awesome because this Vino guy, he had retired a little bit early purposely to seek out spirituality. And so he wanted to talk about spiritual things and wanted to share his beliefs on things. And he called himself a Gunga Bhakta which meant that he was a devotee or a follower, a, a worshiper of the river, the Ganges, which the Ganges in India, if you don't know much about that, it's this river. And I mean, it's, the belief is that if you bathe in that river, uh, it has the power to, to wash away your sin. And so Vino would wake up in the morning, he would jump on his scooter, he would ride out to the, to the river, he would bathe in it, he would, uh, he would swim, he would drink from it. And then every afternoon, he would have a stomachache. And so this is kind of what our relationship was like. I would be like, dude, you got a stomachache. And he would be like, oh, yeah, you have it every day. Yeah, well, you go out to the river every day. Yeah. You say that the river's polluted. Yeah. Do you see the problem? (laughs) Uh, No, Mark. I believe it is clean, and so it's clean. (laughs) All right, that sounds good, man. So uh, it was just like one conversation after another. And one of the other things that Vino did is he would make these trips to Varanasi, which was about 75 miles further downriver. And it's the place that's most well-known, where this river goes right through the middle of the city. Uh, it's, there's all these temples that go right down to the water. It's the place that everyone goes to die so that they can be cremated there and their ashes can be placed in the river there. So there's really just a lot of people that are you know, sick and there's a lot of hospice-type situations um, it's the place that the Beatles went, you know, it's kind of that famous place that foreigners go to. And so he would go there, and I always would say to Terry when he would leave, like, man, I would love to be on one of those trips with Vino because, I mean, we would learn so much being with him in Varanasi, and that's the place that these Gunga Bhaktas would go and worship. Well, one day I'm walking in, and he's jumping on his scooter, and he's got a bag with him. And I say, I mean, where, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to Varanasi. Tonight is Shivratri, which is kind of the big, huge festival for these people that worship the river. And uh, he said, if you want to come with me, you can come. I said, really? And he said, yeah, I'm leaving in 10 minutes. You've got to be on the bike in 10 minutes. So I walk up the stairs, and I make the decision walking the stairs like, I mean, that's great in theory, but, I mean, we just got here. I mean, my wife and two little kids are in this place with nobody who speaks English. I mean, this is just... I'm, I'm setting them up to fail. This isn't a good thing. I, I don't need to. So I just kind of say it to Terry, you know, Vino said this, but, you know, I'm not going to do that. And it wasn't one of those, I'm not going to do it, like trying to be whatever. I mean, I was really like, I shouldn't do that. And Terry says, what? You mean we came 8,000 miles? <laughs> and you're not going to go the last 75? <laughs> you really want me to go? Grab your toothbrush and jump on the scooter. So I did, yes, ma'am. I went and got my toothbrush. I jumped on the back of the scooter, and here we go, man, off to Varanasi with Vinod, and I'm with him. So I I'm, I'm really have submitted to wherever this dude takes me that I really don't know that well, right? Wherever he takes me, he's an elder. I'm trusting him. I'm, I'm with him. I mean, I'm just going along for the ride. You know, I'm going to be with him and this thing and learn all I can learn. And so we get there to town, and we go in. He said, well, the first thing we have to do if we're going to be in Varanasi and Shivratri is we have to have a lossy which I like lossies. Lossies are like smoothies. And he said, we're going to go have a smoothie at this one special place. So I said, okay. So we go to this special place. And there's more people there than I would normally see at a lossie walla. And a lossie is, you know, place where they sell these smoothies. And, uh, and he comes back to the table, and he brings me my, my cup. It's like this little clay mug. And, 
And it's a smoothie, but it's green. It's kind of got this green tint to it. And I said, you know what? I've had a banana lassi, and they're yellow. And I've had a mango lassi, and they're kind of orange. But this one's green. Well, why is it green? And he goes, well, it's a herb. And I said, oh, okay. I look over at his, and his is very green. Mine's just kind of green. So obviously, whatever the herb is, he's got more of the herb than me. What is the herb? Don't worry about it. It's just a herb. <laughs> so we're drinking it, and I start naming off different, you know. And he's like, no, it's not that. No, it's not that. No, it's not that. So then we finish, and we get on the rickshaw, and we're riding away. And he goes, uh, I said, what? Tell me, man. Give me the name. And, he's, and he goes through a bunch of names, and then he says, Bong. <laughs> and I go, oh, no. I think I know what that was now. Man, so the first cannabis smoothie you have when you're not really planning on it, it kind of catches you off guard. And this trip just only gets worse. Like, that's the beginning. And, I'm, and so then they also would go to this pond, this guy that sells pond. It's where they take this leaf, and it's in water, which you're not supposed to do because it'll make you sick. And I say, I don't want it. And I turn this way, and when I turn back, he slams it in my mouth. And I'm like, oh. All right, then we end up by the river, and they're playing a sitar, and everybody's going to sleep and leaning on each other, and I'm thinking, what in the world? Then we jump on a scooter, and we're going through this old ancient city, and then he jumps out on this main road, and he turns back, and there are thousands of these uh, naked guys painted red running at us. I find out later that, that this is what they do. They bathe in the river, and then they paint themselves red, and then they run around the city. And we were in, on the scooter going boom, 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 between these thousands of naked guys running at us. So anyway... The sad or, or incredible thing is there's more to that story than just that. But that's just kind of the, the, the surface. But the thing was, when I jumped on the scooter with Vinod, I was going to Varanasi for Shivratri. And I was with him, right? And I, mean, I guess I could have bailed off on the side of the road, but then I could no longer say I was with him. What it feels like is that's just a very practical truth. But when we talk about Jesus' followers... If you're on the scooter with Jesus, I mean, you're going to go where Jesus goes, and you're going to do the things that Jesus does. And if you're not, then you're not. You know, you can't. You can no longer claim Jesus following, practically following Jesus, unless you're with Him. And I wonder what happened when Jesus called these first disciples, and He said, "Come, follow me." And then they started to follow, and they found out where this guy was going. What they must have thought. Let's, let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 4 where he calls the disciples. It says that while he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting nets into the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, which Zebedee is just a cool name, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Now, this is probably a verse that you've seen before. It's always been one for me that's amazing. And what we would normally talk about is, man, it's amazing that these guys would leave what they're doing, their occupation, their family members, and they would just turn and begin to follow this Jesus. But... I've done some deeper study on it, and there's something else that I think is even more amazing to me. Uh, this, in this culture, in this kind of Jewish tradition, 
you've got these rabbis who, you know, they're all, there's all this knowledge, deep knowledge of the Torah, but then you've got these rabbis who have their interpretation. And so it was kind of a big deal to get invited by a rabbi to come underneath his, what they called a yeshiva, his, his teaching community, his group of disciples, and to submit yourself to his discipleship and ultimately, you know, him modeling what it looks like and you becoming like him. That was a massive deal. So little boys, they would grow up and they would learn and try to get to the head of their class and try to be the cream of the crop so that maybe, just maybe, when they applied to, to yeshiva to be a part of one of these rabbis' groups, that he would, be, he would accept them and say, come follow me. Now, put this together. So normally you would work really hard to get there. Only the cream of the crop would be accepted. I found out the other day that I guess they've moved up the ACT score you have to have to get into college. So I would no longer get in. So that feels good. You know, I mean, to be asked by a rabbi to come follow him was this huge honor that only the smartest of the smartest and the brightest of the brightest got asked to do. Never, and they always applied, so there would never be like this rabbi would just come and take the initiative to ask you. <laughs> More than that, that he would come and take the initiative to ask you a fisherman. So when they're in their boats and this Jesus rabbi walks up and says, come follow me, I mean, part of it is they're like, you, you're asking me? You're asking, what in the world do you see in me that would give me the honor to be able to be a part of your yeshiva, to be a part of your learning group. Yes, we will come follow. And Zebedee's like, go, boys, that's incredible, you know? Then they start to follow him. Well, they find out real quick that the, the way that this rabbi interprets the Torah is a whole different ballgame. Because look at it in, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. So they get, start to follow him, and then it says, He went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This good news of salvation and redemption, he's preaching it, which was a controversial message. All right, so you're following him, and now he started to say things that are a little bit controversial. Then he's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. All right, so his fame is starting to spread, and so guess what they do to the guy who's healing everybody? They start to bring all the sick folks and all those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed with demons, the possessed folks, the uh, epileptics, the paralytics, and he heals all of them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to the Decapolis and from Jerusalem to Judea and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So here you're with this guy and he's preaching this controversial message, and then he starts healing all these folks, and then literally all the people from the whole region, he's like a magnet for everybody who's sick. And you know, in that, in that time frame, I mean, you're, you're talking about, I, I've always thought that I would be most afraid of being murdered by somebody who's not happy with his message. But think about it, almost the bigger threat is, is these contagious illnesses that are all around you, right? Just being with this healer, who's caring about the sick and all the people who have been cast out. These guys have to be following this rabbi and going, man, this guy ain't doing what those other guys. Those other guys are up in their clean, nice place talking about philosophy and talking about all the religious, but not the practical getting our hands dirty with the people. Man, this rabbi is different, right? 
So now they're with him. And these are the things that he's doing. And then he looks at the crowds and he gives the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which if you haven't read and spent some time in that, you need to. I, it's, just, it's just my favorite picture of this is what Jesus said. And what he does is he says, this is what has been taught. This is the interpretation. But then he comes back to each one and he says, but I say to you, this is what it's like. So this is my interpretation. This is what I say. And so we get a real clear picture. This is what a follower of Jesus, this is what you do. And he gives some things that I think are specific to this question of what is love and what is love in Jesus' terms. I think he says from it that love is urgent. In uh, Matthew 5, 24, he says, be first, uh, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He says if you're at the altar and you have some gift to offer unto God and you remember there that your brother or your sister they, they have something against you? He says, this is what you do. You, you, you leave the gift at the altar, and you go make things right with your brother. Then you come back and offer the gift. Where all the other rabbis, you know, they were really teaching this idea that, you know, there's this focus on this relationship with God and people, but, but, but you know, me and God, I'm, I'm this spiritual people. And Jesus walks in and says, listen, you can't be, these two things are connected. You, you love people, and then your heart is right to give this worship unto God. This is radical. He says, do it quickly. Leave this gift and go do it right now. Don't waste any time. Maybe think about, I don't know what your uh, thought about lightning is when you're out somewhere and you see it. Most of my life I've been like, man, oh, it's lightning. We're in the pool. You know, we're going to be all right. They cancel football games now because you see lightning. We had one canceled this year. I was thinking, man, I don't ever remember a game being canceled for lightning. I remember coach saying, dodge it if you won strikes. <laughs> but it's all good. We're playing the game. Lightning was never a big deal. Well, this summer, I've got a, a friend who lost his father. He was out in the yard working out underneath one of the trees in his front yard, and lightning struck. I looked it up. 20 people this, this year in the U.S., already have lost their life by a lightning strike. So a few weeks ago, me and the boys and the babies, I'm pushing the babies in the double stroller. We're running. The boys are running. And it starts to, storm starts to come up. I'm like, all right, it's all right. And then I see lightning strike. And I, come on, boys. We're going home, man. I don't want to get hit. Now I have, a, I have a different appreciation for what that means. There's an urgency when you see it. Jesus says that there's an urgency when relationships with others is broken. He, his kind of love means you go take care of it now. And don't play around with spirituality if you're not going to go take care of your relationship with your brother or sister. That's, that's priority. And then he says, love has this selfless intent. And I get that from this one, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. He says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery in his heart. And, uh, and that word originally, that, uh, that lustful intent, it's really like making an object of somebody else for your pleasure. So you have, you have turned the thing where this person is just an object to you. By the way, Brandy's going to pub it in a minute. We've got, uh, for guys in our men's ministry, we've got this study coming up October 3rd where we're going to talk about this epidemic of porn addiction and how we can equip one another to, to do something about it and to help one another. 
And so this statement, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Boom. And that's a powerful statement from Jesus. In specific, it's making an object of somebody else. You know, I don't know what uh, pets have been like, like growing up at your house. At my home, we had dogs. We had a cat, I think. Never came in the house, always outside. I think she just kind of came by when she wanted to. But the dogs we had, they were definitely purchased for our pleasure. And if they somehow were an inconvenience, we no longer had a dog. We bought one, uh, named, we named it Lucky because we bought it on uh, Friday the 13th. We thought it probably needed some help. And it died pretty soon. It got run over. We had a dog named Domino, who was this beautiful uh, Dalmatian. Some lady from the church came to bring us rolls, and it snipped her leg, and that was a problem. Domino was gone. I can go through this whole list of all these names of all these dogs. And then I met Terry, and I go over to her house, and her mom is nursing a baby parrot. The dogs at her house wear clothes and honestly get treated better than I do. And I realized, you know... I think, you know, I grew up where dogs were objects, and this is a place where they almost get the attention, like, like dogs get first. You know, around this room, I think that all of us, we view people, some of us view people as objects for our good. And so as long as it's good for us, then that relationship stands. As long as it's good for us, we'll love them as long as our love is returned. They're just an object for my pleasure. This Jesus love is like, man... I love with no expectation of return. I love, and, and Jesus is like, he's pouring it out knowing that it's only going to cost this selfless intent. And then it says love is candid, truthful. Uh, verse 37, he says, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. He says, don't make oaths. Why, why would you need to lay your hand on a Bible or make some kind of super-duper promise, uh, I, you know, sugarcoat it and try to add power to it, that just means that your other words aren't worth anything. That means you don't tell the truth all the time. You have to say something special to make sure that we believe you. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be straightforward. Are we candid with one another? Uh, in, in, when this is another thing from India that I learned. In, a, in an Indian context, people just tell you what you want to hear. So if a guy's coming over and he needs to, to fix the water you know, pipes and he says he's going to be there at 1, or I say, when are you going to be there at 1? He'll go, yeah, knowing fully well he's not going to get there till 5. Or you're on the road with somebody and you say, hey, is the store around the corner here? They'll go, yeah. They don't even know where the store is. You get around the corner, there's nothing there. You're like, well, that guy told me. Oh, he didn't know what he was talking about. People just tell you what you want to hear. And then after a while, one of my friends said, dude, you need to use the word pucka. Pucka means for sure. So then the next person comes up, and so they say, hey, I'm going to be there at one, and I'm like, one pucka? And you can tell, they like, start rolling in their mind. Am I really going to make it by one? And they would go, no, 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 it'll probably be five o'clock. Now I got it. Man, the power of the word pucka. Now all of a sudden, I get the truth. Wouldn't it be much easier and more loving just to tell people the truth? Not to sugarcoat it, not to, you know. I mean, I know, guys, you've been coached since the time you were little that if your wife steps out and says, do I look good, you always say yes. That is, I, I would argue. 
if her mascara is running down her face and she's got bats in the cave, I would just say, hey, honey, you might want to fix that because somebody else is going to see it. And when they see it and she finds out that you didn't say something, guess who's in trouble? Just tell the truth. Now, there are some things you might need to code a little bit, but, you know, for most of the, you just need to tell the truth. If we told the truth to one another, if we just told the truth to one another, how loving, practically loving would that be? Just to tell the truth. You know, also he says that love, I think he says that love is unbalanced. In verse 39, he says, someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other one as well. Now, you tell me, that one's crazy. In fact, he even quotes Old Testament scripture where it says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Somebody hurts me, you hurt them in the same way and to the same degree. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, my way is that somebody slaps you on one cheek and you turn to them the other as well. Now, see, to me, I, I like that idea of balance, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. You know, you ever had a picture on your wall in your house that's off a little bit, and every time you go by it, you want to make it right? <laughs> you want it to be level? You want it to be right? And Jesus just made a statement that isn't. He's not, it's not eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's you get slapped, you give him the other cheek. What, what in the world is this rabbi talking about? His interpretation is that we're going we're gonna to unbalance this love equation, and even though somebody's unloving to us, we're going to continue to love in the face of in the face of hard things that coming at us. And then he goes another step, which I think this, this would say that love of Jesus' love is nonsensical, doesn't make, doesn't make good sense. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's crazy. So somebody not just one time hurts you, but they don't like you and have set out to, they are your enemy. And Jesus says that my way is that, that you, you love them and pray for them. But I love his explanation. He says, wouldn't you, though, as children of God who loves both the righteous and the unrighteous, who loved you when you have sinned against him and spit in his face and and been an enemy of God, that he would seek you out and love you? He modeled it, right? Shouldn't you do the same, Jesus says? That love doesn't make any sense. And then he also says kind of the last thing, that love is discreet. That the Jesus kind of love isn't out loving, looking for a show, looking for somebody to, to notice it and to reward us or to think more highly of us. But the Jesus kind of love, it may get noticed, but that's not the motive. The motive is just love. In fact, um, T- Terry's told me several times, and she's been involved in this a little, where, where one of her girlfriends will have, you know, maybe just had a child or will be in the hospital or have something happening, and... Uh, and these girls that sneak into her house and, and clean it for her so when she gets home, her house is clean and she doesn't know who did it because they snuck in and did it. Isn't that just cool? Uh, not looking for any reward, not looking, but just, but just uh, yeah, sneaky. Sneaky love, discreet love. Um, I don't know if this has happened to you guys. If it hadn't, I, I, I hope it does. Uh, a few times we've had this happen when we've been at a restaurant and we get ready to, to pay and the waitress says, no worries, your meal's been taken care of. First time it happened, I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> am, I, am I supposed to, did something happen? No, 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 somebody just, they said just throw your, your bill on theirs, and, and they were going to take care of it. Who? 
They said, don't say. So there are a few times that somebody picked up, I don't even know who it was or where they came from, but somebody did it. And they did it because they were just loving with no expectation of me to come up and say, man, I sure appreciate you taking care of our meal for us or somebody else to see it. They just, they just did it in a secretive way. Jesus says, this is what it looks like. Because the people who are looking for reward, they get their reward already. And somebody says, oh, that was cool. The deeper reward is loving with no expectation of reward. And then look at this, Matthew 9. This is kind of the bookend. So throughout, after this sermon, there's just story after story after story of Jesus healing the sick and, and casting out demons from those that are possessed and, and raising people who have died from the dead and doing all of this incredible, all these things that were listed back in chapter 4. And then in Matthew chapter 9, it says it again. And Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Friends, if there's any question what this Jesus was about, I hopefully this morning for all of us answers it. If you jump on the scooter with Jesus, this is where Jesus goes to the broken and the hurting, to the sick and the helpless and he goes loving in an urgent way, in a selfless way, in a candid way, in an unbalanced way, in a crazy way, in a discreet way. And if you're with him, that's just what you do. And that's the reason the next thing he says in, in uh, verse 36. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because there were so many that were lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to these guys that, and these girls that he was trying to to teach what it looked like to live this way? He says, look out there. There's so many. But there's so few that would love them in this way. Everybody's worried about these other things, and nobody's worried about the practical thing of being right with God and loving like God loves. This is what it looks like. Everybody else wants to do something else, and there's so few that would do this. He says, why don't you guys pray? Pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to make you one of the people that would love in this way. And I've heard, I've heard this said before, and it was, it's very, very true, that that is a very dangerous prayer. Because if you pray that this morning, which I'm fixing to pray it over us, if we pray it and say, Lord of the harvest, please raise up people who would love in this way and that would help the hurting and love in this, in this crazy Jesus way, then you immediately, he starts to do this thing in your heart where he reminds you of the brother and sister who you need to quickly go make right with are the enemy who you've retaliated against instead of giving them the thing that they didn't expect. Yeah, just uh, real quick, the other day, uh, Jack, my, uh, my four-year-old son, he, he says, uh, no, Daddy. And I said, no, yes, son. He said, no, Daddy. And I said, no, yes, son. No, no, Daddy. And finally I said, he was going back and forth, and I said, no, and he didn't know how to, what to say next because he had said no so many times, you know. And it's crazy the power of Jesus' way. Somebody throws hate, 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 hate. You're retaliating with hate, hate, hate. And then all of a sudden you, retali- you come back with love. And it silences the hardest person. It changes the world when we love our enemies. This Jesus way actually makes a whole lot of sense, even though it sounds like craziness. So tell you what, let me, let me pray, and uh, let's just see if this whole love does thing becomes more than just a book we read, okay?
Father, I ask you that that would be true, that you would, you would in us do this work where we start to, to think about people, both our family and the people in our own household and the people that are around us in our community and, and the people that are on the other side of the ocean, that, that we begin to see them the way that you see them and that we would be compelled and empowered by you to love in this way that doesn't make any other sense than uh, that it's come from you and that it's supernatural. But Father, I know that if we jump on the scooter with you, if we say we're following you, that this is where you go and this is what you do. So please make it true in your people. To your glory. Amen.